Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Orbit. And today I have Perjan Kethiswaran. Uh, I found you on the internet. You tweeted out that you wanted to come on some podcasts and talk about design, creativity, and jokes. I sure did. Excellent. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? What do you do and how did you get there? Yeah, sure. So starting with what I do, um, I'm a, I guess I'm a tool maker, but I'm more practically speaking, I'm a developer and a designer and I make Canopio, which is a visual thinking tool for people who have ideas and thoughts uh, they want to like put together, connect and understand and, you know, share with others uh, and collaborate on. Uh, before that, I was the co-creator of Glitch. Uh, also did a lot of the design there. Um, and before then, just a string of startups and, you know, a story as old as time. Yeah. How did that uh, start for you, getting into, like, startups and computers and things? Right. Well, I actually went to school for um, biology and for urban planning after that. Um, but after doing my grad degree in urban planning, I realized I hated all of the planning, but I really liked the mapping, the diagramming, you know, infographics, that sort of thing. So I got a job as an illustrator at a, a tech firm and from there kind of moved into doing a bit of design just to help out. And from there doing a bit more development just to implement my designs, um, you know, with a little more quality or a little closer to what I had intended. Uh, and then, yeah, just kept growing, I guess. Excellent. It's a weird path, yeah. Uh, along with computers um, and like doing, making tools, what other hobbies do you have? Uh, well, in the, the before times, I used yeah. to box. Um, oh, cool. Yeah, I like running and like hiking and stuff like that. I grew up near mountains and stuff or hills. Um, so yeah, I just like getting outside, playing video games when in the now times. Um, yeah. What video games are you playing? Um, Recently, I've been, I so the, I'm in Toronto right now and I have my Nintendo Switch with me and that's it. So I've been playing Final Fight, which is like an old school beat em up brawlery type of game. I'm not too cerebral with my video game choices. That's fair. Yeah, it is the, the de-stressor. Exactly. Uh, I'm curious about Glitch. Glitch is a tool like that I have used tremendously in trying to teach myself how to, how to code. What was it like to... Um, be part of that team and why did you end up leaving? Right, so when I joined, the company wasn't called Glitch, it was called Fog Creek. Mm -hmm. And Fog Creek on its own had a long and storied history um, making developer tools, but being what was kind of new for the time was being like founded around the idea of like, this is a place for developers, by developers, CEOs, developer, and stuff like that. And they made a bug tracking tool called Fogbugs. And I got the job at Fog, uh, at Fog Creek because the company I was working at before used fog bugs. I hated it. And so I just kind of made like conceptual mock-ups of like, what if this was like a Mac app designed around like um, people, the people using it and not project managers. They saw that um, and reached out to me. And that was a really interesting process. Like first time flown to New York and, you know, stayed in the Ritz. It was pretty ritzy. <laughs> and uh yeah, and, and it was like a very small team. It was like the first bootstrapped company or truly bootstrapped company I'd ever worked at. Um, and yeah, it was a very developer heavy like company that just needed design, but I was actually brought to be like work on R&D for the next thing. They didn't know what it was then, but it's what Glitch eventually was. Um, and I think it was just like, I was in right place at the right time, essentially working with the other co-creator of the project, Daniel X, to sort of flesh out the idea of um, 
a place where people can code that sort of in the between of like, you know, totally gooey, like Squarespace type thing. And like the hyper uh, advanced, you know, put it on AWS and figure out your hosting and figure out your version control. Something we, we hypothesized, and I guess this isn't a big, like uh, crazy idea now, but back then the idea that there was this like meaty part of the market, a huge group of people interested in coding and expressing themselves through code without having to basically be engineers to get even a basic website out. Um, it seemed like a big idea at the time, but now it's like, oh, okay. It seems like a lot of people were down with that. Super viable. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, um, and I guess the second part was why yeah, I left. Exactly. Um, so, I mean, this is also another tale as old as time. You know, the company got bigger. Um, it got a lot of, it got a lot of funding. It's kind of measured its success in terms of like, we double the headcount every month or every, you know, whatever uh, X time. And it's just the culture changed. And eventually I asked myself, I had to ask myself like, I left companies like what this is now to work at Fog Creek and everybody else from Fog Creek had left too. And so it just felt like, okay, I'm kind of like, it, it, isn't, it doesn't excite me. It's not the same kind of challenge uh, that it was before. And it's not a bad thing. It's not a bad place to work. Actually, it's probably a pretty good place to work, but uh, it just wasn't for me, I guess. That I think is very interesting to me. Like you were drawn to it because it was for developers by developers. And you, it seems like you had a lot of freedom. Uh, I did. I think it was the freedom that, that drew me to it more than anything else. Are there companies or jobs or communities where uh, that kind of spirit exists today? I'm sure there are. Mm-hmm. I mean, I see a lot of, I can only tell nowadays from the outside looking in, like um, companies like Rome and um, not so much, I'm oh, sorry, I meant to say Notion, but I'm sure mm-hmm. Rome is pretty cool. Um, and yeah, I don't, I don't really think about software companies that much these days, but there are a couple uh, that I remember and I think about, oh, Arena is one where I know the founders, I've worked closely with them in the past on features and other things. And Mm -hmm. just seems like a really great group of people making a really great product. And they try new things all the time. Some of them are part of the product. Some of them are kind of like side experiments. Like they made a book creator, like a paper book creator, which, uh, was pretty cool. I think. That's awesome. If you're mind isn't really thinking about tech companies. What are you thinking about most days? Canopio, uh, really. Um, yeah. How to grow it um, and, you know, how to build it was once a problem. Now there are so many things I want to do, but the problem really is the things I want to do are not, are increasingly not the things that are the most important for it to be a sustainable long-term business. I have to spend a lot more of my time um, Think about how to get the word out. Like really that's the biggest challenge. Usually mm-hmm. people who see it, it's kind of a love hate thing, but there are enough people that love it that um, stick around um, and use it all the time. And just getting it in front of more people help me, helps me kind of just get it in front of more people. And yeah, more yeah, eyes the on, the, part. on the exactly. prize. Tell mm-hmm. me a little bit about Canopio. How did it start? Uh, it's a like thought mapping tool that you made. Yeah. So I mean, I'd noticed to myself, like I, after, after leaving Glitch, I took some time to think about what I wanted to do next. And I wasn't sure I'd do something on my own. I could have, you know, like I was thinking of also just working for another company, but um, I was, I re- I look back on, you know, the last couple of years and I noticed that a lot of the ideas that I had, I'd kind of like sketched out on paper or like, you know, drawn in like a, like a visual app, like sketch and kind of 
use that to form my thoughts. But at the same time, as the company grew, we had silos and managers and all that. I kind of thought about how that broke down and how the tools for thinking in big organizations don't really exist in the same way. It's you kind of replace tools for thinking with tools for doing uh, specifically like you get like a task tracker, like a JIRA or whatever. And it's, it goes from like, what should we do? How should we do it? Um, why should we do it more towards this is what we need to do, break things down into steps, let's execute and do sprints and agile and all that other stuff. Um, and I thought there was a place for a tool um, for both individuals and companies where it was more about the thinking behind the work or the work behind the work. Um, and, I, and it's sort of like, in a way, I think that could actually have like profound impacts on the way we as developers and designers like operate inside of larger companies and how we choose, what we just choose to do on our own time and how we choose to like express ourselves and the rest of it. How long have you been working on Canopia now? Uh, it's almost been two years, I think. Okay, nice. And what are some of the things that you want to do, but probably shouldn't? Um, well, in the short term, mm -hmm. what I one of the things I want to do is have a live drawing tool. And the way you can move cards and connect them and all that in real time, um, there is something to be said for sometimes, especially if you're on an iPad with a pencil or something like that, sometimes it's nice to just be able to draw directly on the canvas an idea um, that's hard to express in text or words or dropping images and stuff like that. And it is something I wanna do, but it's, it's a big feature. And my theory is that Canopio is complete enough, like it's the core of it, the core features to be able to like, like think together and you know, um, encourage communication between people that it, I should like prove more of a market fit or more of a business sustainability um, like spend more of my time on that stuff before I go deep into uh, totally new capabilities. Is Canopio your full-time like focus right now? It is, yeah. Awesome. What is, what's the biggest challenge with doing it? Um, hmm. I mean, there's a lot to be said about the existential like dread of like, what if nobody likes this? Or even if people like it, what if not enough people like it? You know, mm -hmm. is this growing or like, you know, some months like during Christmas months where people are doing more chilling and less, you know, thinking, let's say. Um, <laughs> it's it's a time to relax, right? And and naturally you see, if I look too closely at the graph, I see the number, like it's sliding downwards. And, you know, the the sort of like popular discourse about a startup is it's, it's kind of similar to like someone who's like in, like made it to the MBA. Um, for someone who like likes playing basketball, where it's like, if you didn't just explode out the gates and you know you got the hockey stick and all that good stuff and everybody's talking about you, then like, are you doing something wrong? Like what numbers are good numbers? And those are sort of things where like, I just have to like step back and talk to other people who aren't necessarily as close to the project or who have more experience in things like investing or um, developing their own projects or you know just regular people and yeah, kind of reground myself. But you have to continually do that. It's not like one mm -hmm. time and you're good. S sustaining motivation and momentum. Exactly. Are you doing this by yourself? Yeah. How How is that? Just like relying on you to do this. It seems like a pretty big project, at least from my perspective. Uh, it's surprisingly big. I think part of what gave me the confidence to do this was working at Glitch in the sense of 
I was doing a lot of this stuff or aware of, you know, when it comes to back end, front end, all like the, the Devi type tasks and the design stuff, they're all things I've done. And I've, you know, I'm old enough that I have like so much experience and I've worked in so many different roles um, that like when I think of like, oh, what are all the things that a company needs? Like all the roles and jobs, can I do them? I mean, most of them, yeah. So I just dived in. That's awesome. That's kind of the thesis of everything that like I'm trying to capture here in this series are people who are individuals doing the work of large teams. And it's more and more a thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And what I'm thinking is like in your journey in these past few years doing a solo run company, what do you think is some of the most useful advice you could give to other people doing the same thing? Uh, hmm. I guess it's, you know, like, uh, it's, hmm. I guess, it could yeah, be think small. about it as a marathon could, yeah. more than a sprint because it won't necessarily be a huge explosion out of the gates and it's not necessarily something you should expect. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's more like a, like you're crawling to survive. It's not always glamorous. Actually, it's never glamorous in my case, but it's not, I guess like setting your expectations right in that it's not always better to go into business for yourself. Um, and it's, and it's, even if you do, it's not necessarily a bad thing to question whether you should still be in business for yourself. Cause it's pretty mm-hmm. hard. Um, yeah, it's hard, but it, it's also rewarding when it's good, I guess. In like, yeah, for you, what does success look like for Canopio? Um, hmm. It's a good question. I mean, the easy answer is money, but, uh, <laughs> but actually breaking that down, I mean, that can mean a bigger company with a, with a lot of people or some people. Um, it could just be me forever, but like in a pretty financially like healthy place. Um, but I, yeah, it's hard to say because like, there's just so much about um, the structure of like tech companies that's just changing like every year. Uh, in terms of like how people are treated, trending towards the good, but also just how, I guess the part that I struggle with for all of this is the financial cost to hire someone versus contract someone. um, And like the longer term considerations, I feel like you need a lot of confidence to like really hire someone. Mm. Um, And I would like to get to that point. But also I do, I have a lot, I have contracted with people in the past uh, on glitch, and I really do like that experience. And I wonder about what the future of work is in that respect. Will we see um, jobs becoming the like still remaining the norm? Like in my generation, you know, the people before me were like, "Oh, you're gonna work at the Ford factory for like 50 <laughs> years, and maybe they'll give you a gold Rolex when you're done." Um, and now it's like, okay, two years is, or maybe five years is considered a lot, mm-hmm. and you know, like with Lyft and Uber and companies like being modeled after that model, we're seeing a lot more contractors. And so is the future of work where everybody's an independent, but independent in the sense of we're all doing consulting for someone, we're all contractors for someone. And not knowing that makes it hard for me to say what the shape of Canopio as a company would be. Mm-hmm. You're trying to just like leave it open and then react to whatever happens. I'm trying to ride that wave, but like mm-hmm. ride it in a way where it's like, oh, I have like a set of principles. Like I don't want to like do anyone dirty. And with that in mind, what does it look like the best option is in the future? So, sounds like a tremendous amount to think about. 
Yeah, it is. And it's always changing. But the, the upside is I don't have to, at least for myself, I don't feel like I have to have all the answers right now. Mm-hmm. I just have to have enough of them to do the next Canopio thing. I'm kind of taking it step by step. Excellent. Uh, between steps, what's your internet life life like? A lot of YouTube. Yeah. Um, I'm still I'm still riding really strong for RSS. I think my RSS feed collection dates back from probably 15 years or so. Like you know, well beyond Google Reader was the de facto established standard. But I kept my my little set of feeds and I've taken them to different places. Um, and so when I wake up, the first thing I do is open up RSS because that's where like the best stuff is. But it's also the fewest, so I I run out of those pretty quick. Um, yeah, and then I'll go to YouTube. I'll see what's new in like a Hacker News or other things like that. Uh, but it, it becomes like lowering levels of like, like I'm going to really be interested mm-hmm. uh, or I'm going to like skim through this a lot faster. I think Twitter is one of those things where I need it for my like job and life. But it's not, it's not, a, thing, I, it's not a thing that I read. I like to post to Twitter more than I read to it mm-hmm. uh, just because, you know, doom scrolling and all that good stuff. I just find it a lot more useful to like engage with people, but not go out of my way to be a consumer uh, on Twitter. I mean, mm-hmm. for RSS, what do you, what do you use? I feel like I don't even think about RSS anymore, so I don't even know if there are yeah. tools for it. You'd be surprised, but if you uh-huh. use like Mac operating systems or like mm-hmm. iOS and stuff, there's two really great options in the form of Reader, which is R E E D E R, okay, and Net Newswire. And both of them have like really illustrious histories, especially NetNewsWire, which has been around since the caveman times um, and was recently re like returned back to its original creator who's open sourcing it and is like kind of really doing an admirable job of leading this sort of team of volunteers to make what is essentially a really professional polished application that feels at home on the Mac. Uh, which I'm always a fan of, even though I make web apps. Mm-hmm. Um, and also Reader is a one-man solo project, which is like really interesting and really streamlined in, in its interface and the ideas. It feels like the product of one person and it's very high quality. So I usually juggle between the two, but I lean towards Reader because it's easier for me to type into Spotlight and not and not get messed up with like network settings. Like when you type that NET, it's a, it's a really trivial, stupid reason to switch between them two. But R-E-E is the little things. Yeah, yeah. yeah, if Spotlight was smarter, that might actually change, change how I, uh, you know, what I use. What kind of RSS feeds are you subscribed to? And what are you reading? Yeah, I mean, after all these years, most of my feeds die. So like, mm-hmm. if I look through that list, probably like 40 of the 1000 feeds that I subscribe to are, are like alive still. But for the most part, I like to subscribe to things that are made by individual people. Um, purely because like I think RSS shines as a medium for following like people who post people or companies that post with low frequency and high quality which is kind of the inverse of Twitter Um, (laughs) there's no algorithm to reward you know frequency and all that stuff Um, and so I guess yeah I have a lot of tech stuff you know some of the standby classics like Daring Fireball and whatever but also like individual voices and stuff Uh, friends that just blog casually about anything um, let me open it up and yeah, see what absolutely. We got. I like how personal it is. How it's not like brands or company names; it's just people that you mess with. <laughs> yeah, totally. Let's see. Uh, one of the problems with readers: the interface. Okay, here we go. So, um, in my hmm, recently unread, I have 
Oh, a blog by a friend um, who works and lives in China. And I met while traveling in China uh, named John Saipal called Sino Splice. Uh, just visiting now, it looks like the site is down, but um, his, uh, his, uh, it's now, but it's still his site, but it's like about teaching people Chinese. Uh, let's see, a bunch of names of people. Oh, and a couple artists. So I've got Elle Luna on my, on my next feed and she just posts like scraps of work that's like in progress. Like I wrote some stuff down and, and here it is. Um, nothing, it's not necessarily all deep. Got Gossip's Web. You interviewed Elliot Koss, so yeah, you know the vibe there. I think. Um, and so he's got this new site. He reworked Gossip's Web, mm -hmm. uh, which is now like a directory of web pages that kind of like Hacker News, but the the cool twist on it is besides the audience being different, to post something to this site, you have to pay a dollar. And so like it's very low frequency, but the things on there are like pretty interesting and usually things people have made and they're just kind of excited to share. Uh, let's see. Uh, some of these aren't working anymore, but yeah, Daring Fireball, Six Colors, which is also an Apple blog, uh, One Foot Tsunami, which is, sometimes I find posts where like, I don't remember why I follow them, but they're just there and then I read them. I mean, uh, yeah, One Foot Tsunami is organic baseball. It's very organic. It's like a zine collection. You look through it and you're like, I don't know how I found this, but I like it. Yeah, and it's so different from social networks where, it's like, oh, you're into this thing. Here's five more of the same thing you'll be into. Right. Um, there's none of that. Um, there's another thing, Tokyo Camera Style is just a bunch of cool digital, I mean, analog cameras that this guy just saw on the streets of Tokyo and took pictures of. And yeah. I love that, like there's, I feel like there's a connective theme because I kind of know what it feels like to follow individuals uh, who are doing like this independent cool work. Uh, and I'm curious, are you are you on special.fish? Uh I am, but I don't use it very often. But I, I don't either. But I think that's where I found you. Oh, that's interesting. How did I that, was, was it through the random feature? Yeah, I think uh it had it was maybe its first week of launch. Right. And I was just looking through and just clicking random profiles and finding weird websites. <laughs> Uh, which was Sweet. awesome. And I think that's how I found you there. But I think like the people that I found on special.fish have a unique styling that feels like, uh, I think Elliot Koss calls it HTML energy. Right. Uh, I've also heard it called um, brutalism. Um, oh yeah. It's a reference to architecture. I don't really like the term because a lot it of times like, brutal. well, not only that, but like brutalism, like, um, that style of architecture has produced some really beautiful buildings, mm -hmm. but it's also produced more commonly these days, really cheap buildings where brutalism just means like you don't make all the walls, you know, you don't finish it all. You let the materials really shine for themselves, which is very HTML energy because HTML is the material we use. Mm -hmm. um, but a lot of times people make buildings and they're like, oh, we don't want to put a wall there. Like, screw it. Let's just ask Tony to pour some concrete on the walls and it's all good. <laughs> Um, and I used to work in construction for a little while, so I've seen that happen. Um, so yeah, I kind of feel like we should invent our own terms for things as opposed to like, oh, this was a movement in arts. This was a movement in architecture. So I like HTML energy for that reason, because it's an original thing. Yeah. Uh, internet brutalism. Yeah. Uh, 
moving to YouTube, what YouTubers are you subscribed to or do you uh, enjoy? Uh, let's find out. So I'm really into mechanical keyboards um, and I follow this mm. one guy. <laughs> I feel like that's a thing now. What's his it's name? It's been a thing for me for a long time. Um, Man of Interest. I, don't, okay. I think his name is Huey, but that's his channel name. Mm -hmm. um, I follow Jonathan Blow. I'm just reading random stuff right. on my YouTube homepage. Jonathan Blow is the creator of Braid and that other one. It's like a, he's a puzzle game maker, essentially. Uh, but he talks about programming stuff. A lot of that stuff is a little too in-depth for me, but he's a cool guy. Um, MKBHD, um, Dave Lee, who are like gadget reviewers. A lot of nerdy stuff going on here. Um, the Completionist, who basically tries to 100% complete video games and tell us about how painful that is, kind of entertaining. So nice. yeah, Mikey Chen, who like eats a lot really fast and it's kind of like a whole thing. Uh, is this stuff do you just put on in the background while you're working or? Uh, Some, sometimes it's just a way for me to like veg out after, mm -hmm. after working. Uh, with working stuff, I usually just have music on in the background. Um, if I'm doing designer work or like 3D modeling and stuff like that, I can have things where it's like, um, like full podcast, full conversations are happening. Um, but what if it's coding, I like can't do words. So it's like a different part of my brain, I guess, yeah. is, is being engaged there. As a tool maker, what are your favorite tools? Hmm. Uh, my favorite tools, I guess I would have to say the ones, the two tools that I think the most about are the hammer and the sandwich. Um, so the hammer- I love this. <laughs> the hammer is like the most obvious instinctual tool ever, but it also has a lot of depth. Like um, to use a hammer properly, like and not hit your thumb, like it requires some skill, but just looking at the hammer, looking at the nail, it's very obvious how to use it. And like the weight is balanced. Like you can, anyone can buy a cheap hammer, but there are actually like really good hammers. <laughs> um, for you know people who make their livings as carpenters and such um, mm -hmm. and it's just interesting that something so simple can have so much depth but also be so like you look at it and you kind of know how to use it um, that's a very rare thing especially in the world of software um, and the sandwich is interesting to me because no one's ever taught how to eat a sandwich this one day I can't even remember my first sandwich but like <laughs> you put some food between two breads give it to someone and they instinctually like hold it and they know how much of the sandwich is completed because they feel like the weight change. They know how big or how committed a bite to take because they feel the density of the sandwich in their hands. Like there's so much signals that get sent to us mm -hmm. through the sandwich and the smell and all the rest of it. And that we never learn how to do it or eat with, eat it. Um, yeah, it's, it's just a really cool thing to aspire to, I think. Yeah. Are there any, like, I feel like that's, it, what internet apps or like computer <laughs> things relate to that? Because I imagine that informs right. kind of the way you think because you want it to it be intuitive to it. And you want it to like people to be able to look at it, get signals from it and not have to read a manual. Right. Um, hmm. I guess with Canopio um, specifically, I was inspired by the Miyamoto process for how like a Mario game is made. Um, mm -hmm. Essentially like, you know, whether it's like like I was chasing like a feeling and I wanted to express like a full application how to use something around the feeling. Similar to a hammer, a hammer has like a weight and a consistency and a heaviness that implies like smash things with this. Um, so with, with Mario, what they do is with a 3D Mario especially is they concentrate on making like the 3D model of Mario. 
They make all the animations, like how does he bounce? How does he triple jump and on the rest of it? And they put them in like just a cube, like a box. There's no level, there's no nothing. And until that's fun, they don't make the rest of the game. And so that's how I started making Canopio, like moving things around, connecting things. It should feel fun, it should feel engaging. And then I'll like make the rest of the app. Awesome. Um, yeah, so that was my inspiration. Excellent. Is there anything else that you uh, kind of want to touch on as we wrap up here? I think I'm very excited just hearing how uh, you're spearheading this project, the influences coming into it. What's next for the project in 2021? Mm, I do want to focus more on getting the word out. I feel like that's my big priority. 2021 mm -hmm. to me, I feel like is the, the year where I fully like verify that this is a thing I'm gonna work on for the rest of my life. And so there's, there's some pressure that comes along with that. Um, I do think there'll be cool features. I wanna focus on making the mobile, like the mobile works, but I wanted to make it like great. Mm. And for something that like um, is like as Zoom, Zoom friendly and reactive as Canopio, making it work on the constraints of the mobile web is like a particular challenge. Um, but yeah, that's, those are my two big things for this year. It'll How probably else? change next month. But. Yeah. <laughs> How else are you getting the word out there? Um, I want to plan that out in the next couple of days. Um, I recently launched on Product Hunt. That went surprisingly well. Um, I want to do more things like that. More things I talk to, like the software community of Gage people. I also was featured on a YouTube channel before, and I and that just kind of happened organically. Someone found me and was like, oh, this is cool. Um, but I want to see what it's like to like um, be proactive about that stuff. Um, and yeah, I feel like YouTube, like social media in general, that's the way people find things. But I'm also cognizant of, I don't just want to talk to people who are like software enthusiasts. I want to talk to like regular people because I think you can solve problems that regular people like have and don't even question like mm -hmm. why do I why like I know a lot of people who like have a thought and it's circular and they're like oh but this happens and this happens and they just keep kind of coming back to the same place and with like my engineer brain hat on I'm like I think like if you if you wrote it out or if you had a way to visualize like the way you kind of connected the ideas that you're kind of expressing to me right now um you might realize like the answer isn't to keep doing the same thing or to hope for the same thing you know um, yeah, so I think there's like a different appeal there too, which I, I'm still thinking about how to tap into. I like, I feel like Canopia is a pretty general tool, but when you imagine the user, is there a specific kind of person you're thinking of? Not really. I think, I think, like I mentioned earlier, it's kind of love-hate, and I think that's kind of deliberate in the way that, um, it's, kind of an anathema, I probably said that wrong, but to a lot of software tooling, especially those in companies. I think about companies a lot just because that's where a lot of like my original frustrations that led to Canopio came from. Um, and um, I like the idea of people using tools to solve their own problems and then gradually introducing them and sharing them with their team or their friends and the rest of it. It, it growing that way as well. One, I don't have to do as much work. Um, you know, it just kind of happens organically. And so like, that's my favorite way for something to grow. Um, and so I want to find out what causes that to happen and do more of that. And to do that, I just, yeah, it would help to know 
what kind of people use it or, you know, and I usually find out when people just hit me up and say, I really like this tool and I always appreciate that stuff. Very cool. Where did the name come from? Um, I had this old Trello board that I just had around for a really long time that just had a list of like, whenever like a cool name would pop up, I would just kind of put it there. Cause I always thought in the back of my mind, like that I'd want to make my own product one day. Um, and so, yeah, when it came time, I just looked over the list and <laughs> like the Japanese word for mushroom, which is canopio, just kind of <laughs> was there. That's awesome. It's like a baby names list. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, it was a pleasure, pleasure to talk to you and learn a bit about what you do. I'll put a link uh, to Canopio in the description. Sweet. And again, thanks for, so much for carving out some time to talk to me. Yeah, thanks for having me. For sure. See you next time.